Welcome to Vernacular Podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Each week on Vernacular, we explore the art of being truly and fully human. Most of the time, that means that Sally and I chat for 15 to 20 minutes about a topic, general or specific, and how it helps us understand what it means to be human. But we don't have all the answers, so occasionally we invite guests on the show to help us tackle this question in the context of their job or hobby, current events, or pop culture. Thanks for joining us as we practice the art of being human. All right, welcome back. Today we have a guest with us on the show, Tish Oxenreiter. Tish is a podcaster, an author, an entrepreneur, a wife, a mom. She writes and speaks about travel, home, family, books, TV, music, I could go on, you name it. (laughs) Um, She is the creator and host of two podcasts, The Simple Show, which is definitely one of my favorite podcasts, and Women's Work, which, which just launched this year. And both of those are available at all of your podcast players, so definitely check those out. Tish met her husband in Kosovo, and then she and her family went on to live in Turkey, Oregon, and now Texas. And they visited many other countries and states, which we'll get to talk about a little bit today. But without further ado, Tish, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah, we're really excited. And I know Sally has a question to kick this off, but I was, I just want to jump in here. I found out, Tish, that you met your husband in Kosovo about 10 minutes before we started the podcast, <laughs> and I feel like I have to hear that story. Okay. Yeah. No, it's funny. Um, we met both. We were doing independent, independent, separate nonprofit work. So he was over there. This is in the late 90s, early 2000s. He was over there. This was right after the Milosevic um, conflict. Right. Uh, re- helping rebuild houses. He had background as a contractor. And so he was there just helping people rebuild literally their lives. And I was there. You worked for English a small nonprofit teacher. called the CIA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but yeah. you're not supposed to say that. So it's just us. Nobody will know. Um, and I worked for another nonprofit helping teach English to teenagers that most of the kids had not been allowed to go to school for the past 20 years. Okay. So they basically needed a lot of catch up. So I was there to help with conversational English. And then we just met in this small little village in the middle of nowhere where two Americans, you know, don't typically walk down the street at the same time. And we can point with an, you know, we can draw an X in the sand on the road where we met. And we went back a few years ago with our kids and showed them like, this is literally where your dad and I met. And they were thoroughly unimpressed, but we <laughs> were very happy to be back. It was cool. That is so cool. I do love that story. I remember that um, little vignette from your At Home in the World book, which is your most recent book. I mentioned that you write books. You've written multiple books. And the most recent one, which probably a lot of people are familiar with, At Home in the World, chronicles your family's travel adventures, including your trip back to Kosovo. You guys went around the world in nine months. And you also did a multi-part podcast on The Simple Show recently and in the past about your experience and about travel. So um, I think listeners, if they're interested in travel, should definitely check out all of those episodes. But to give those of our listeners who might not be familiar with your story of, of traveling around the world with your family, if you could give them a glimpse into it, share just maybe one of your favorite memories and then maybe one of your least favorite memories from the trip. <laughs> Sure. Well, you know, the the whole trip we had been planning for several years, like, you know, since our third was a newborn. And so when we left, he was four. So this is a thing that we had always been planning this whole time. And we thought, well, let's go now while both of us can work from anywhere. And our kids are young enough to carry their own backpacks. I mean, old enough to carry their own backpacks, but young enough to um, not be too rooted yet, you know, with like commitments and and, and things like that. Not that they weren't, but, you know, it gets a little different when they're a little bit older. Yeah, But definitely. I can attest to now because my oldest is 13 now and it would definitely be a different So many activities we and, yeah. Yes. And friends, honestly, that becomes a big thing. So anyway, so we went when the kids were four, six, and nine. 
Um, and we started westbound. So we went um, starting in China because we like to dive in the deep end of, you know, how different can we get from the U.S.? And then we went in one direction all the way to Europe. The only continent we had to, we couldn't get to was South America for a variety of reasons that not that because we didn't want to. But we ended up going to 30 countries in um, nine months. And it was as exhausting as it sounds, but also tons of fun and we were not ready to end when we needed to and um you know there are so many favorite memories it's even hard to know oh i'm sure where to pick but um you know some of my favorite has to do have more to do with like the unexpected little small things like um my daughter turned 10 when we were in kenya on a safari and so Kyle, my husband, and her went on a sunrise um, hot air balloon ride that, you know, we decided to make special for her. And so it was just me and the boys out in the safari tent. And we thought, hey, well, I've got these boys. Let's go and find some really cool animals with our safari guide. And I was thinking, we're going to find these epic ones that Kyle and and Tate are going to be, you know, sad to have missed. We're going to find a male lion, which is kind of hard to find, um, believe it or not. And they tend to be just sort of out roaming on their own or usually sleeping. Okay, And so, yeah, I didn't know these things. And you wake up super early on safaris because animals are out early usually, you know, to find their food and stuff. So we are waking up at the crack of dawn and we get out there and we're in the van and we're driving. Our safari guide knows how to find things. And um, we finally find a male lion out by itself. And um, I go to take a picture of it and I realize I forgot my phone. Oh, my camera. I forgot both things. Like I had no way to document this thing that we're in Kenya, you know, in the middle of nowhere. And we see a male lion like 10 feet in front of us. And the, the kind of cool takeaway for me was um, just to kind of be all there. Like in, if I did have my phone, I'd probably be just busy taking pictures of it. And instead, I just stood there with my little boys looking at a male lion in the middle of, you know, the the savannah in Kenya. And that ended up being a really cool kind of life lesson for me of like, you, just because you didn't document it didn't mean it didn't happen and didn't right. mean it actually wasn't meaningful, you know? Um, so I don't have a picture of it, but man, what a cool memory just the three of us share that um, I might have just not had quite the same experience had I just been busy trying to get that perfect like Instagram worthy picture, you know? Yeah, that's a really um, good point. So that ended up being a great memory. And honestly, the other memories are equally kind of more of the same of just like when people ask what was the best part of the trip and the worst part of the trip, it's usually the same thing. And it's the constant togetherness. Um, those were the be- the best parts and the worst parts. Like we were never, ever, ever alone. <laughs> Kyle and I meaning like we had our three kids with us for almost a year. You know, you don't have any babysitting. You don't have any other people in your life right. that you know of. And so, you know, our anniversary we spent with our three kids <laughs> at a restaurant. And, um, you know, at this, at this age, we could leave them alone. But at that time, we couldn't. Right. So it was... You know, not so much one specific moment, but it was just this like, oh, my goodness, Kyle and I would wake up and as a joke, sometimes we'd say you again. (laughs) It was just the five of us all the time without a lot of community. And um, that was hard. Yeah, yeah, I can completely understand that. And I would think, too, even though you stayed some countries longer than others, as soon as you develop a sense of community, you move on to another country and it's just the five of you again. Right. I mean, the longest we ever stayed anywhere was six weeks. So you do get to know neighbors and stuff, but it's always temporarily, you know, with this idea of like, we'll hang out while we can, but we know it won't be long. 
Right, right. Well, you kind of touched on this or started to touch on this as you were telling your story. And um, I'm wondering, what is your argument for traveling as a family with young kids as opposed to waiting until their teens are older? And and you mentioned a little bit about how um, once kids get to be older, they develop friends and they have more activities and they're more rooted. Maybe just add to that, what mm-hmm. what would you say to people who say, well, of course, we're going to wait until our kids are teenagers before we go you know, gallivanting around the world? Yeah. Well, I will say, just to start off for anybody listening, that the best time to travel is right now. Like there's even if your kids are older and you're thinking, oh, I missed the boat. No, it's it's perfectly great to travel when they're older. I think it's great to travel when they're younger. I will argue that I know what it's like to travel with kids age three and under. And it is a different (laughs) ballgame. Like I we purposely waited till everyone was out of diapers for a reason, (laughs) because it is a different thing traveling with little, little kids. But um, we still got lots of questions, mostly to do with our four year old. That had to do with like, aren't you concerned that he's going to forget all these memories you're making and you're spending all this money? Well, honestly, there are so many good reasons to travel while they're young. First of all, he still remembers tons about the trip and he's almost eight now. He remembers a lot. Um, But the biggest, best reason I can make for traveling when they're young is they become better travelers the more they travel. And so a lot of people listening will think like, well, I'm not going to travel with my eight-year-old. He's, you know, no fun. Well, the reason... And I'm not saying every kid is the same, for sure, but they become better travelers when we give them chances to experience travel and a lot of these challenges that we as adults sometimes are more projecting onto kids. Um, By and large, kids are pretty adaptable and resilient and flexible, and a lot of times we just don't give them the opportunity. At least I don't as a mom, you know? And so... um, The kids continually surprise me at how great at traveling they are. I even have a kid who's on the spectrum with lots of sensory issues, and he's a great traveler, and he's super adaptable and flexible, and that's because we've been doing it a lot. So the number one argument I can make for starting them young is because then they'll continue to just develop and grow and become better and better travelers. And then the other reason is traveling with kids opens a lot of doors that it wouldn't otherwise. Like you meet people all day long because you have kids. They want to talk with you more. They stop and interact. You meet people on playgrounds where otherwise I'd be kind of creepy, you know, if it was just the two of you. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) Right. There's lots of ways to interact with other parents and with kids to interact with each other that you kind of miss when you're a solo traveler. You can still meet people, of course, without kids. But it, it was surprising to Kyle and I, because we've done both types, how much easier it is to meet locals and other travelers when you have kids in the mix, because that just somehow breaks down barriers and opens doors. Yeah, it seems like those interactions would feel a lot more organic because you're just, oh, I'm a family, but from another country, living life, and now I'm in your country. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that was our favorite way of finding out what to do in a particular place, especially if it was just a small village. We would go to the neighborhood playground, let the kids play because they needed to. And, you know, there's there's almost always somebody around that speaks English if you're, you know, approaching them culturally appropriately. And we would strike up a conversation and get to like, hey, what should we go do? And we, that's how we would find out restaurants oh, that's or great. cool museums or whatever it is. Um, yeah. So Tish, this podcast that we have is focused on being human and what it means to be human. And we as a couple and as a family here have decided that we're going to prioritize travel much like you guys have in your family. And I know you talk about this in your book a little bit or more than a little bit, but can you talk to us a little bit today about what travel has to do with being human? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think all of us have, well, even if we wouldn't call it wanderlust, I think a lot of us have that idea of wanderlust in us, even if we don't 
necessarily went on to get want to get on a plane. And what I think it really boils down to is the search for the ideal, because that's what people who are homebodies and are who are constantly wanting to make their home a better place have the same thing. It's both, you know, the search for the ideal. So to me, being fully human equals kind of leaning into your humanity and traveling does that very first thing of leaning into your desire for the ideal of searching for more and better out in the world, even if you never find it the side of heaven, I would argue, you know, you're not going to find a perfect place. Yet, I think we're still hardwired to search for it. And it's good to lean into those things instead of wishing them away or pushing them aside. You know, once I became a parent, I kind of had this idea of like, now it's time to be responsible. And, um, and I couldn't scratch that itch enough. And I realized I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, there's such a thing as doing it responsibly. But you know, to deny it is only just going to make me frustrated and bitter. And so to me personally, it makes me a better person to lean into that itch that I have. It makes me a better parent. It makes me a better wife. And then honestly, it also makes me a better citizen because I am putting myself in the posture of a learner when I travel. And when I travel, you know, in, in a respectful, culturally appropriate way, I am saying I want to learn from you and I'm here to listen. You know, I'm not coming in to tell you all about me and why we're so great. I am here to just say, tell me how you eat. I want to experience that. Tell me what it's like to be you in the, you know, and how you live in, in a home or in a neighborhood. And so that to me, so much of our um, discourse these days is talking instead of listening. And I think travel makes us better listeners. And then when we do this with our kids, we are modeling for them the kind of global citizens that we hope they are. You know, it's one thing to talk about it. I mean, and it's perfectly fine. You know, I I used to think everybody needs to travel. Well, I understand how it's just not feasible for some people. And a close second is to talk about world events and issues and cultural issues. just delicacies, but to actually be there and experience it and for your kids to see how you interact with um, cultural differences or crowded hot buses or, you know, just waking up early and navigating just a crazy environment and that you are adapting and that you are leaning into these discomforts, I think is a great parenting tool, because it's sharpening me as an adult, and it's making me a better person. So those are just a few of the reasons I think it makes us better humans to travel. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's say someone's listening to this podcast, and they've not traveled very much with their family, but you've convinced them and they want to start doing that. So where would you say that they start? You've, you said you've been on, I think, five continents and 30 countries on your year long trip, and probably a few more besides that. So where's a good place for, say, a family of four to go start traveling this year? Well, it's not it's not a very sexy answer, but honestly, to get just your feet wet, I would say travel to your closest major city. So wherever you live, you know, if you live in the Midwest, go to Chicago. If you live in the South, go to, you know, Dallas or Austin or or just some other big city down here or, you know, wherever you're listening, go to your closest big city and try to use public transportation. Because when you do that, not only are you experiencing what it's like to use public transportation with kids, because it is a little different, and it'll help kind of um, quench your fears about what that might be whenever you're experiencing it in your own culture. 
But um, it also gives you more of a lay of the land, a land and the groundwork of what the place is. I think we miss a lot when we kind of just enclose ourselves in rental cars by um, just missing a lot of these small little cafes or these hidden gyms that we wouldn't otherwise walk by. Plus, it's just good to get outside and walk. Um, so that is the answer I usually give people. Um, but if they want some specifics, I can give it to them. It just depends on what time of year we're talking about and how old the kids are. Yeah, and I have to direct our listeners to to your most recent series on your podcast, The Simple Show, where you and Stephanie are talking about all of these things, really, where <laughs> how you should start with your planning, where you should go, um, challenges that are going to arise, everything. So mm-hmm. we will link to those episodes in our show notes. Yeah, that's a great idea. So to kind of get off of the travel theme... Another topic that you discussed in At Home in the World um, is your mental health struggles. And you were very mm-hmm. open about that, which I found very inspiring um, and and wonderful. And um, on Vernacular, we've talked about mental health several times in an effort to just raise awareness and destigmatize it. So can you share a bit about your mental health journey and maybe some of the ways that you found to safeguard your mental health, both on and off the road? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's kind of funny you you bring this up. Two hours ago, I was meeting with my therapist. So I'm a big fan of um, continued ongoing therapy just for mental health reasons. But um, yeah, back about 10 years ago now, when we were living in Turkey, I was diagnosed with depression. And looking back, I can absolutely see the signs. But at the time, I didn't know. Turkey didn't cause my depression. It just bubbled it to the surface. And it stripped away all my cultural Um, comforts that I was using to kind of mask it. And so I'm grateful now I can look back and see that this cross-cultural experience um, is what helped me see that I had depression, but I had had it before. But anyway, um, yeah, I, um, it was a depression that I struggled with for about three years. I was on meds and I met with a therapist and it absolutely helped. And I am so grateful for these tools that we have in today's world to, um, to, alleviate the symptoms of mental health. But um, I am also a big believer in regular checkups and regular awareness of how you're doing and self and self um, just regulating how, you know, how things are going and to ask good questions. And so that's what I continue to do. And travel, you know, since even though we're not talking about that, honestly, being out and about helps alleviate that for me. And I don't, you know, it might be just me, I don't know, but somehow being out in the world helps me kind of see, there's this great quote by Flaubert, uh, Gustave Flaubert that we talked about actually in this recent uh, uh, series about um, travel makes you modest. It sees what a tiny place you occupy in the world. And I think that really helps me in my mental health that not so much that, oh, suck it up, you're tiny, it doesn't matter, but more like in the big scheme of things, I'm doing okay. And um, life can be hard, yes, and there's a lot of struggles, but, um, you know, the world is big and there's a lot of people in it and I'm not alone. Um, So in terms of ways I have found to safeguard it, you know, I was on meds for a while. Like I said, I'm not anymore, but I continue every now and then to meet with a therapist, not constantly, but like right now I'm starting probably about a six session just kind of checkup for lack of a better term, just because I am starting to see a little bit of those symptoms bubble up and I know to look for them, you know, Um, but just because I've been on this journey before and um, a lot, I I don't plan to be back on meds, though I'm perfectly fine if that ends up needing to be my route. But I know a lot of the things to do for me personally, I have to get out in nature and in the outdoors. Um, I don't know if that's the case for everybody, but I literally need more vitamin D than my brain typically gets, especially in the winter. But also just mentally and emotionally, I can tell if I'm starting to feel a little like uh, if 
I have been just at my desk for too long. Or, you know, that's kind of the the curse of working from the internet is you can just spend days talking to people. And I'm saying talk in quotes, you know, but you're not actually out in the 3D world talking to other humans. And so I know that means I need to go on a walk and interact with other people or, or just do a lot of those kinds of things. So honestly, it's a lot of just little bitty things that you wouldn't think are that big a deal, but added up, they really help my mental health stability for the long term. Yeah, I think that makes complete sense. Yeah, I like what you said about kind of self-regulating and taking your own temperature and self-assessing mm-hmm. even when you're not going to see your therapist and just knowing those things that, that you need to watch for and, and what are ways that can alleviate those symptoms. That's great. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really helpful that you guys are trying to destigmatize it because back when I was diagnosed um, – It wasn't that I was ashamed. I just felt like, what, me? You know, like I've never had an issue with depression. And now that I'm completely comfortable with it, I think it's so helpful for people to be more and more comfortable with it, that it's a very common thing. It's It doesn't have anything to do with your, you know, responsibility or your ability to adult or your, you know, even being in a good mood. That doesn't mean you're you're, you know, not struggling with depression some. So it's really helpful to talk about it openly with people. Well, Tish, we're almost out of time and we still want to do our our lightning round with you, but I also know that you've started this new podcast, Women's Work. So can you tell us a little bit about that and where our listeners can find it? Yeah, this is the thing in my work right now I am most excited about. So in 2018, I started this new podcast called Women's Work, and all it is is the broad topic of talking with interesting women who do interesting work. And I wanted to highlight the stories that we often miss. You know, a lot of times on podcasts and just on the internet, we hear from the same like 20, 30 people. And I thought, what about these people that we just walk by all the time? And it's not that we don't care. We just don't stop to ask their stories. So I've talked to, you know, a bookshop owner, a lawyer. I've got all kinds of people that, you know, down the road, I've got like a science jewelry designer. I've got an event. I know that's a thing, apparently, you know, I've got an event planner. I've got a mental health counselor. Like there's all sorts of people. I mean, there's literally infinite women I can talk to with the subject. And we have so many interviews already. We're, we're completely solidly booked through early 2019. That's we have amazing. So, it is amazing to me. That's and this so is all, cool. all word of mouth through listeners. That's wow. all it is. I'm not seeking these people out. They're wow. just like <laughs> handing them to me. I'm telling my assistant, let's make a long wait list because I really want to talk to all these people. And I feel lucky enough to get to talk to them. I mean, I feel like I'm getting free business coaching every right. week. I'm talking to these awesome people. So um, it's just a short little 30 minute episodes of just hearing someone's story, like what inspired them to start this work? How did they know they were good at it? What advice would you give someone who maybe wants to look into it? And so to me, it's both like inspiration for us adults, but also kind of to inspire the next generation, like to consider what might you want to think about, really, you know, I'm thinking about my teenage daughter in this in this show. So it's at womensworkshow.com. And it really is for everyone. It's not just for women. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think even our kids are really young right now. But even as a parent, I like hearing about these other uh, just stories of, of women out in the world and all the possible things that that they could do and that I didn't even know that people were doing. And just in, it's nice to have those ideas in my head as we watch our girls grow and and see their strengths and gifts. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's great for parents to be thinking that way. Well, Tish, are you ready for the lightning round? <laughs> I dun, will dun, do dun. my best. A little <laughs> nervous, but okay. All right. If we have any new listeners, we like to do a lightning round with our guests. This is inspired by a lightning round that Bon Appetit's Foodcast does with its guests. And the essence of the game is very simple. The uh, listener or the inter- the interviewee is asked by us uh, several questions, and these are either or. 
And uh, we will start with uh, a, the question that Bon Appetit ends with, and that is olive oil or butter? Butter. Turkey or Thailand? Ah! Oh my gosh, Turkey. Okay. Hong Kong or London? London. Portland or Austin? Oh my gosh. I'm going to be crucified either way. Oh, sorry people, but Portland. You know, I, let me just pause the lightning round here, actually. Yeah. You're you're an Austinite, or close yeah. to it at least, Austin suburbs. Oh no, I was born and raised. Yeah. Okay, so we're new to the Austin area. I feel like I need to ask you like the one thing that you think we need to do in oh, Austin. Oh yeah, that's good. Uh, make it like 20 degrees cooler and do something about the traffic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so figure those things out, and Austin would win hands down because Austin has way better food than Portland does. So, yeah. Oh, interesting. That's yeah, well, interesting. we do love the food in Austin. What's your favorite Austin restaurant? Oh gosh, I'm like picking my favorite child. Um, I'll just say a current one, um, El Monumento here in Georgetown oh. is phenomenal, and it's two blocks from our house, so we can walk to it all the time. Oh, oh that's amazing! Well, we're on we're yeah. on the south side, so it's a little bit of a hike, but if it's as good as you say, it might be worth a it trip. Might be so worth, it might be worth coming out. <laughs> yeah. I think it's that good. Yeah. Okay, resume lightning round. Um, okay, podcasts or music? If you have to listen to something, music. Okay. Would you rather watch a great show or read a great book? Read a great book. Okay, would you, if you're listening to music, would you rather listen to The Beatles or U2? U2. Andrew Peterson or Josh Garrels? Good Lord. Um, <laughs> Josh Garrels. Sorry, Andrew. I love you. <laughs> All right, now you're watching a show instead of listening to music. Are you watching Stranger Things or The Crown? The Crown. Okay. Okay, now you're reading a book, Everyone Brave is Forgiven or Dark Matter? I hate this. <laughs> I hate this. Everyone brave is forgiven. Nice. I love them both, though. Nice. Yeah, well, I've not read that one yet. Sally just finished it, yes, though, a few so weeks ago. I loved Everyone Brave is Forgiven. I read that in January. I have yet to yeah. read Dark Matter, but... They're I'm... both phenomenal. <laughs> read that one next. You won't Yeah. Be... Oh, that's a yeah, great you idea. Won't be sorry. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Tish, for coming on our show. It was great to talk to you, and I know our listeners will enjoy it. And yeah, just continue doing great things and putting out great content. And for our listeners, if you want to listen to Tish's work, you can find her at The Simple Show. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts or her newest one, like she talked about, Women's Work. And you can follow our podcast on Twitter at VernacularPod, on Instagram at VernacularPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash VernacularPodcast. You can also email us at Zach and Sally at VernacularPodcast.com. And you can rate and review us on yes, Apple, Apple Podcasts. Podcast. Please don't forget. <laughs> All right. For Vernacular Podcast, I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Have a great week. Feeling better than ever. When I'm by.